The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Dr. Eric Weaver. Eric, are you ready to share with some quality people? Absolutely, Jarvis. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, Eric, we love to start every show with positive affirmation to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could share a favorite quote, which mindset, but also tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Well, it's a great question, Jarvis. Uh, you know, I'm a, I love college football and, uh, you know, coach Lou Holtz uh, has a quote and he basically, he basically says, look, you know, your talent determines what you can do your motivation determines how much you are willing to do and your attitude determines how well you do it. And I think that perfectly sums it up in any profession that, that you're in and even in any situation that you're in in life is how you approach relationships and what type of attitude that you bring into a situation. I mean, you could be the most talented, motivated person, but if you don't have the right attitude and perspective, you're not going to be able to really achieve great wins and have successes in life. So I think that to me is a really important uh, lesson about the importance of having a good uh, mindset, especially as a leader in healthcare. No, so I love it. Um, Eric, I think you and I are going to get get along well because I'm a huge fan of college football. I'm a former college football player myself. But um, yeah, anything from Lou Holtz is a golden quote, even though he was a Notre Dame guy. That, that'd yeah. be my only back. <laughs> uh, Eric, let me move you to this next question. And, you know, I, I first Again, just want to thank you for giving me some of your time and, and all of the insight that you're going to share in this episode. But um, Eric, I had a chance to connect with you some months ago. I uh, was really impressed by your profile on LinkedIn, but even following some of your posts and the things that you're into. So I'm, I'm just kind of anxious myself to learn more about you in more detail here. But I would love if you could um, briefly describe for us and the audience um, your current role, your professional background, and, and most importantly, what even led you into this career path? Well, th thank you for that question. And, you know, I, I, I love to tell the story um, because, you know, healthcare is something I'm really passionate about. I uh, chose to uh, enter into this uh, field, uh, you know, knowing that I didn't want to be in a, in a role where I made widgets or, or did something that really didn't speak to that altruistic sense of, you know, why I was on this earth, which I think is to help people. And, um, you know, I'm a healthcare executive by background. Uh, you know, I uh, have been in, you know, uh, healthcare for about 15 years now. Um, I, as an administrator, I, you know, I, I ran physician group practices and, you know, I was at this point in my career where, you know, I, I really became disenchanted with 
the fee for service hamster wheel, if you will, you know, I, I just, uh, really, you know, just chasing volume and, and, you know, just looking at patients more on a transactional basis. It really didn't speak to me in the way, uh, that I would, you know, that, you know, that was, it really didn't speak to, to me in the way to which I wanted to enter into uh, the healthcare profession. And uh, I was at this moment in my career where, you know, the value-based care movement was kind of gaining uh, traction and uh, the ACO program uh, started uh, within the Medicare shared savings program. And I left um, a really kind of stable, you know, position, you know, where I was kind of on the trajectory of getting into kind of a a higher level, you know, system leadership role and taking on more responsibilities. But I, I decided, you know, I'm going to just take on a flyer on this and uh, start a physician-led ACO and uh, find out what value-based care is all about. And, you know, I, I parlayed that into a bigger opportunity. And what I'm doing now, basically, um, I run a learning collaborative called the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. And uh, the ACLC uh, was started about five years ago by uh, Governor Mike Levitt and Mark McClellan, when they left uh, the public sector and their um, roles, respectively, um, running HHS and Medicare, they joined forces, formed this collaborative really to think about how industry can come together and through dialogue and ideation, really create a competency-based framework and innovative approaches to advance value-based care. So really, that's that's where I am now. I'm at the nexus of uh, education and healthcare transformation. I'm, I'm no longer an executive on the delivery side of healthcare, but I, I talk to executives every day. I, you know, I, you know, we have this learning collaborative. We provide peer learning and intelligence, and I have a podcast of my own called Race to Value. So I'm having a lot of fun, you know, doing this work. I. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we're, you know, playing our part, you know, to accelerate the value economy and ultimately uh, improve quality and outcomes uh, for the industry through evangelizing, you know, this movement towards value-based care, promoting literacy, and hopefully um, providing a, a pathway for organizations to ultimately make this transition from fee-for-service to value-based care and be successful. So it's really, I, I couldn't be in a better position in terms of finding something that really connects with me, you know, internally and my sense of uh, wanting to have an altruistic contribution and then uh, being a part of something that I'm passionate about. It's a lot of fun. So um, value-based care, I'm, I'm all in. All right, perfect. Well, uh, Eric, I'll be good about it and give you a heads up. I, I'm about to go off script for you. But for me, um, I came into healthcare back in 2007. So uh, I'm an engineer by background. Um, went from electric utilities, came into healthcare, but 100% of my career in healthcare has been quality process improvement, you know, project management type work. And everything that I've learned since coming into healthcare has been around this, this incredible movement for value-based care. And it still, you know, still kind of feels like this vision without, I guess, a truly defined endpoint, I guess, to, to some degree, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of different conversations, a lot of different visions, the definitions that, um, given that this is your world, uh, we'll love if you can view, but also give us an update, like, what is the state of value-based care? Um, how are we doing? Are we, are we almost there yet? Or what work still remains? 
Well, it's important to remember, Jarvis, uh, and for your listeners out there, I mean, value-based care, and I've learned this lesson, you know, the hard way. It's not like flipping a switch and you, you, um, you go from that metaphor of balancing two canoes to going all in on value. If you do that, you're going to ultimately uh, not be able to keep the lights on, you know, uh, no margin, no mission. We live in a fee-for-service world. And, you know, as Governor Levitt um, has said a couple of times, uh, he, you know, he's the founder of my organization. Uh, you know, we're in, you're, we're 25 years into a 40-year journey, and it takes time to, to make this seismic shift in 20% of our economy uh, towards value-based care. And, you know, when I got into the, you know, value movement, you know, started my first ACO, I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, like, you know, this is uh, going to be hyper-accelerated, you know, in terms of the industry transition. I remember Sylvia Burwell, who was the head of HHS, saying, you know, by, you know, 2000. You know, 18 or so, we were going to be, you know, majority payments and fee in in value, and then it just didn't happen. You know, and it's slow, and it is a long slog. And but I think um, ultimately, my my perspective on things as a leader is that you really have to be um, mindful of having delayed gratification. You know, and just knowing that we're incrementally making wins along the way, um, it, it gives me assurances that we're heading in the right direction. You know, I um, in my one of my earliest experiences as a healthcare executive, I remember being at a conference, and I, I you know, there were some old timers, you know, kind of speaking, you know, uh, to each other in a corner, and they were lamenting about the glory days of, of you know, being able to submit whatever you wanted to uh, uh, to an insurance company, and you get paid, and you just would make so much money hand over fist. And and I, I, I don't want to be one of those people that just you know, uh, complains about, you know, oh, things were so much better. I want to be part of the change. And that's what excites me. And, you know, I guess to answer your question more directly, though, um, where is the state of value-based care right now? Well, you know, I, I think uh, it's certainly, uh, it has momentum. Uh, I, I think uh, there the uh, CMMI and uh, HHS and uh, Medicare really are thinking about ways to create um, uh, critical mass and scalability with some of these new payment models. The Medicare ACO program certainly has now over the course of time shown that it's uh, been successful. And I think CMMI is now thinking about, um, you know, there are a multitude of different payment models and ways that they can create uh, something that's going to be uh, comparable in terms of success. And, you know, Medicare Advantage has been an important um, uh, factor in the value-based care movement and uh, direct contracting is now a new model uh, that's starting next year. So I, I think that, that really portends more of, you know, getting into globally kind of capitated prospective payment risk models. Um, and then I think COVID-19, um, for all the, the bad things it's done for us as a country, it, it is a black swan event. I think it's created opportunity and, you know, in, in every crisis there is opportunity. And I think that uh, if any, if anything, uh, it's shown how um, how how much our healthcare system is strained right now, and how the incentives are misaligned, and how outcomes are not always where they need to be. And I think part of the learning lesson in COVID was, um, you know, not so much the virus itself, but how vulnerable people are based on their own uh, their health and the manifestation of chronic disease, and how population health and public health you know, needs to be a more of a priority in our country. So I think the convergence of all these kind of factors, both from a kind of macroeconomic perspective to kind of societal uh, shifts in thinking and, and really a, more of a raised awareness around uh, disparities in care and, and challenges with uh, health equity, I think that's all 
kind of culminating to what I believe is going to be a meaningful uh, transition, you know, in the next few years towards value-based care. So, you know, if we were 25 years into a 40-year journey before COVID, I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe we'll see the the light at the end of the tunnel in the next four to five, you know, if we're on a hyper-accelerated trajectory. And I hope that we are, because I think it's really important. Because uh, if we lose sight of this, then um, ultimately the worst case scenario could be that, you know, we're going to, you know, have to deal with a, a really immense fiscal, you know, uh, uh, financial crisis and healthcare, and I think now there still is time to to implement value based care and do what's right. So I, I want to commend you, Eric, because after I asked that question, I was like, "Crap, that was a really big question I just asked." Um, but I mean, first you handled it like a pro. Um, again, this is your world, and I think those were the elements as I looked at your your profile on LinkedIn that stood out to me was. I mean, as a quality person, a quality improvement professional, you know, I am built to, you know, the, the word value, I'm using it every other sentence with the work that I do to lead this improvement projects. But um, those are the elements that I, I really want to call out for our audience as you share more. Um, and, and I'm really thinking, I wish I had sent you my second script, which is like my guru script to have almost a masterclass on this topic. Um, because I, I really want you know, our listeners, if they're not already involved with the value-based work and, you know, the the transitions that need to happen internal to organizations, those are some of the call-outs. And I, I think, you know, a lot of your points that you just shared there were perfect. And I'm, I'm like holding back to not dig deeper because this could be like a two-hour interview. Um, Eric, uh, let me move you to the next question and I'll keep maybe sprinkling in a few more of my, my notes, my questions here. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of tweak some of these questions just to, to pull more out of you in, in the world of accountable care organizations, PCMHs, uh, value-based care, all of the above. But um, I would love to kind of throw this next question at you, Eric, and this is what I've been classically now calling our dark place question, but would love for you to take us to a point in your healthcare leadership career that you would consider your best moment of failure. Um, share with us what that story was, what that moment was, um, but most importantly, what were the major learning lessons gained from that moment? Oh, boy. Well, I think the biggest failure I had, and this was even before I started uh, my career, um, but it was when right when I was getting into healthcare, I um, uh, finished up my uh, undergraduate degree and, you know, I felt like I was on top of the world, you know, Dean's List and, you know, graduated with honors and, you know, I was uber, you know, uh, uh, committed as a as a student in, in extracurricular activities. And I thought I was um, going to enter into medical school and be a physician. And that was my dream and everything I had thought uh, I, I, I would become. And it was actually part of my, you know, uh, future identity state. And uh, I remember not getting into medical school and, and having that setback at the time, it felt like it was almost absolutely insurmountable. And, you know, like I was already a failure before I even started. And then I read a book by uh, John Maxwell called Failing Forward. And he really talked about how, you know, failure isn't really, it, you're never a failure if, it, unless you define yourself as that. So, you know, there's situations in life where there's, it's a lesson and, you know, there's something to be applied and you have to apply it going forward. And, and, you know, so I, you know, through that experience and some deep introspection and, you know, thought about, you know, where I would, um, how I would make my mark on, you know, in, in the world through healthcare, you know, that's where I ultimately decided to get into the business of healthcare and, you know, get into healthcare administration. And then ultimately the work I'm doing now in value-based care. So that was, 
just a real important kind of defining moment for me is, you know, never looking back on the failure, but then, but just thinking about, you know, what I learned and then applying it in a future state to become my best self. Oh, perfect. And again, I know we're clicking on similar vibes because Maxwell um, is probably one of my, my most revered leadership gurus. Um, so Eric, I guess another kind of off script question I have for you, but just the path that you've taken in your career, as at least as I, as I kind of assess it from uh, LinkedIn, because it's where I stalk all of my guests, but, um, you know, very impressive uh, leadership path. I mean, you've held senior leadership roles, past roles in president and CEO types of positions. Um, just again, for our up and comers, because the large part of my audience, Eric, are between the ages of 24 and 37. Um, could you speak to what the different transitions that you've experienced? As you shared, you know, right out of college, you had this vision for the future, where to go next to continuously develop yourself. But any key takeaways as you think back or reflect on, you know, moving from one position to the next and finally get into, into senior leadership roles, any marketable, um, you know, notable, milestones or transitions or shifts that you found within yourself that allowed you to say, okay, now I am in this role. I'm the CEO or I'm the, the executive director, and now I can become that and kind of own it and, and really, you know, progress, um, you know, take the next step forward. It's a great question, Jarvis. You know, and I think that I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the things that I, I, I believe in and think about a lot is having delayed gratification. And that's especially important as an early careerist. And that would be probably the first thing I'd, I would tell uh, someone in counseling them about, you know, how to, how to uh, create a, a career path that's going to be congruent with your um, talent and abilities. And it takes time to figure it out. But I think the most important part of, you know, figuring out, you know, how to navigate that journey is through taking risks. And I think that's also important early in your career. And I'll just share briefly, you know, just one experience that, um, you know, that, that really defined me uh, in my career and, you know, got me on the, the path of value-based care. You know, I, um, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was in a kind of a, you know, heavily entrenched kind of fee-for-service uh, administrative role. And, you know, I just, uh, it didn't really, I didn't really feel like uh, I was in the best position to really create, you know, transformation and improvement in outcomes and quality. And, uh, you know, I took this trip to Cuba and uh, I, I went to, you know, on this trip, it was a healthcare research delegation. I went out there with physicians and administrators and I saw the you know, kind of a more higher touch primary care model. And I was in the specialty world. So I was always thinking about, you know, big dollar procedures and, you know, making sure that, you know, patients were getting their imaging so we could maximize our fee for service revenue and all that stuff. And then, you know, I, I saw that there, you know, 80% of the doctors are primary care. They live in the communities. They, they know their, their patients and their families. They're, they're like the friends of that, of the, of the patients. They accompany the patients to, to the specialist visit. And it's not like I would say, you know, we need to have a, a healthcare system like a third world country, but I, I walked away from that trip thinking, you know, if we did have a higher touch, more relationship enabled model, and that model wasn't even tech enabled. And I think of all the technology we have in our healthcare system, but it's more of like a, a medical industrial complex where, you know, the technology over the last 30 or 40 years has really been to maximize fee for service revenue. But how can we do that through uh, information systems and improving quality and outcomes? Ultimately that, you know, I, I came away from that trip really thinking like that's, 
that's what value-based care can do. And that's what the quality improvement movement's been doing for decades now too, is raising that aware awareness. And I think there's a convergence now. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, quality is uh, uh, such an important part of that value equation. So um, I think conceptually that kind of defined my career. And, and then, you know, I, I wouldn't have been in the opera had I not took a risk and, and entered into a, a you know a role where starting an ACO and you know leaving a, a secure position and, and doing something that I believed in I don't think I would be as happy as I as I am today and um, so I, I think that's that's something I would definitely want to impart is just you know take risk be bold and uh, have delayed you know gratification and knowing that you know everything that you do you're putting yourself on a path and and uh, never lose sight of the end game you know I'll always be um you know i, I think uh uh comfortably discontent you know always know that there you always have to push yourself and, and know that there's something better and you have to put yourself in those opportunities to ultimately succeed and, and be the recipient being great of being great at something and i'm still learning i'm you know i haven't you know quite you know, mastered everything, but I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm in a much better position now because I've been able to take risks and be bold and do things that I'm passionate about. Perfect. And again, I, I love that advice. That's definitely one uh, to our listeners to take home. Um, Eric, I had the opportunity probably a year or so after I moved into healthcare. Um, my first job was working at Duke University Healthcare Center, and I had a conversation with our VP of HR when I figured out, like, I loved healthcare. Um, never saw myself in it, and then once I was, I wanted to dig deeper. Um, had a conversation with her about just career options, opportunities, and one of the key things that she told me, you know, back in 2007 or so, was don't be afraid to say yes to different types of opportunities, uh, which you know kind of translates to me in her special way to say, be open to taking risks. And um, I followed that advice and I've had some really unique roles, things that you know most of my contemporaries probably couldn't say they've done. Um, but that's something that I think is not talked about enough. Um, a lot of our healthcare colleagues are on a very straightforward or conservative or you know well-defined path. And I can honestly say I've, I've swerved around in a lot of different ways in mine, and it's, it's been very rewarding in a different type of way. So I, I appreciate hearing that. I appreciate you sharing your story as well. I, I, I just think it, there's there's so much uh, wisdom you know, that can be uh, shared. And, you know, I commend you for having this platform to be able to, um, you know, help others because, I mean, it, it truly is uh, important work that, that you're doing. And I know um, others are doing, you know, in the in the in the profession really to um, you know, help align, you know, up and coming pro professionals and, and, uh, you know, get them uh, thinking about the future state and how they can make our industry better. No, thank you. No, I think it's a unique time to be in healthcare. So um, as, as much as uh, folks like, again, even you through your podcast and other things that I'm definitely going to ask you to, um, to really plug very heavily near the end of our conversation, this, this is a pretty cool time. Um, 13 years ago, who knew what a podcast was, right? <laughs> right. Uh, next question I have for you, Eric, um, just to kind of dig us up out of some of the learning opportunities from that last question, but I would love if you could give our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works very well for building up intimate connections within the teams that you've led. Uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Well, you could probably pick up um, from my conversation, you know, today, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about what I do. And I think it, it comes down to um, being able to start with why. And, you know, I think most of your listeners probably 
have seen the uh, Simon Sinek uh, uh, TED Talk that came out years ago. I don't know how many millions of hits it has now, but you know, there's that part in the in the video where he talks about how Apple communicates, and you know, he says something to the effect of, you know, Apple's, you know, uh, vision is like, you know, and how they communicate to to their customers is saying, you know, they believe in challenging the status quo and thinking differently, and the way they do that is by making their products beautifully designed, simply to use, user friendly, and all that. And then they they just say, we just happen to make computers want to buy one. And I remember hearing him say it in that way. And it really, it, 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 you empower people by getting them to believe that, and, 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 and which is true, um, that the work that they're doing, even though it might be transactional and, and there might be, you know, moments where you're just so mired in minutia, you question, like, how is this actually making a difference? And I think every day and, you know, in the way you communicate with your teams and how you lead projects, it's so important to think about, you know, that future state we were talking about. And, you know, how can we ultimately, you know, believe, believe that the work that we're doing and thinking differently and, and providing, you know, some type of contribution to the transformation of the industry, how that ultimately is going to accumulate through these incremental wins and create a, a more, more beautifully designed healthcare system. And I, I, I know it's tough to believe that because, you know, we're almost societally, I think we're conditioned to just be, you know, tuned into negative news because, I mean, that's all we hear is negativity. But I, I think there's so much to be said about, you know, how, um, how people can come together, you know, through um, a, a shared vision and ultimately make great things happen. So I, I, I try to, you know, at least in part, you know, that, you know, uh, would, you know, to my team, you know, every day and really help them understand, you know, how the why that we have um, ties to their own personal why. And I think if you can tap into that, then that's pretty powerful stuff and great things can happen. And I'll, I'll give you a heads up again, going off script, but um, Eric, you know, through the work that you all are doing through the ACLC, I remember when I, again, kind of did my, my research on you and to learn more about and, you know, just to, to see if, you know, to make sure to get you on this podcast would be well worth everything. Um, I came across the members page and, you know, many of the organizations that are listed on you, you guys' website, I mean, these are organizations that I've learned if for nothing else, you know, by reputation across the industry, but um, to say heavy hitters is an understatement. Um, so I, I guess my question, just connecting to the mindset of starting with why and the why behind, again, just value-based care and all the, the, the value that that brings, um, what are some ways that you all are successfully reaching out to very well-known, highly reputable organizations and pulling them in with your why? Or any any synergies or what stands out as you all are making and building this this very impressive network for organizations to lead this move? Well, Jarvis, it's uh, certainly a work in progress and it's not easy. Um, you know, we're I mean we're still dealing with um, an industry that's completely um, buried in 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 dealing with a pan, uh, a pandemic and thinking about vaccine distributions and you know how to how to have how to address PPE shortages and, and then just the, the 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 whole calamity uh, associated with um, you know the uh, the pandemic that we're in and and I, I think um, you know my perspective is that you know we ultimately like I said earlier are, are really here to evangelize and and accelerate you know, the value commerce ecosystem through storytelling. And, you know, we have, um, 
uh, kind of an academic lens almost to which we, you know, authenticate a lot of the peer learning that we're doing and we're building, you know, bigger, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, educational products and interventions that ultimately I think can align with organizations that are in that top tier that are ready to take the next step and create impact and scale in, in what they do um, through, competency in, in workforce development. So that's ultimately what what my organization is doing and how we're planning for the future is really recognizing that this transition to value-based care, it's not going to come through, like I said earlier, it's not going to come from government autocratic top-down. I mean, surely the, the payment structures and the incentives are going to align that way, but the adoption uh, of value-based care, it's going to come through collaboration. I mean, it really does take a village to make it work. So I think we, we try to create a, a safe place for conversations to happen, but ultimately we're, we're also taking those lessons learned and building a kind of a competency-based framework to which we can ultimately approach uh, reskilling and upskilling of the workforce. I mean, I, I just firmly believe that um, this movement to value-based care and quality improvement for that matter. Um, you know, NACU's doing great work in this area too and, you know, creating competency-based frameworks. And I, I just think that we all have to realize that if we're going to experience any type of healthcare transformation, it's going to begin and end with the competency of the team. And, and there has to be some way to create um, that level of scale um, because um, delivering care in a fragmented, uncoordinated uh, fee-for-service volume-driven environment that doesn't really value relationships and 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 it isn't quite optimized in terms of uh, information sharing and, and 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 providing care in a more holistic interdisciplinary way. It's not going to ultimately um, you know create the 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 sea change that we need in the industry. And I think you know in the quality improvement that's been you know highlighted with the kind of that IOM report and the high rate of medical errors and that whole analogy of the jumbo jet crashing every day and i think the same thing can be said about uh the lack of a value based care payment model as part of that i mean there there has to, there are organizations out there that are leading it they believe in it um they're they're holding steady and then for those that aren't you know we're here for them too we just try to create a a place where you know ideas can be readily exchanged and ultimately um create a a vehicle to which those organizations that are ready to make the next step they know they have a support system either through networking and peer learning or through you know education uh they can make this uh successful transition to value-based care perfect uh, again I, i'm really um just impressed with uh, a lot of how you all have started setting things up and i love what you said too um, for the folks who are on board, you're right there to support them. For the folks who are kind of stepping up to the plate, you know, you're just creating a safe environment for them to learn more, to slowly get more engaged. So um, love all of those additional call outs. Um, next question I have for you, Eric, is I'd love for you to take us to one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. But again, share with us, you know, the background of the situation, but definitely if you were able to turn that into a personal or a professional biggest aha moment i i think um oh that's a great question you know i, I think uh for me uh you know it was you know coming back from that uh that trip that i took uh and then you know having you know a different perspective that you know the healthcare system is broken and i remember being 
in a, you know, a, a master's program where I was indoctrinated with kind of a way of thinking where, you know, you're going to be a hospital executive, you know, your, 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 your ultimate, ultimate career goal should be to be a CEO. And that's what you're, that, that's what you're here to learn and, and to be. And I think for me, the aha moment is, you know, we have a broken system and we have too many CEOs probably, we need probably different types of people. And, and uh, there's, there's, and we need to have empowerment, uh, in, in the, the workforce. So, you know, I, um, I think almost, uh, you know, for me, I, I just think that if we're going to uh, fundamentally change the way healthcare is delivered, uh, it has to come from uh, a groundswell of, um, of disruption that's not going to come from top down, as I said earlier, but it's really going to come from the bottom up. And that includes patients. And, you know, I, I think uh, just for me, the aha moment is just really, you know, realizing that, you know, we don't have the best healthcare system in the world, despite what, you know, we've been brought up to believe and but it, but it's not, um, you know, irreparably broken there, there is, there's opportunity in the crisis. And I think that's where, you know, we need to have uh, a coalition of support. And uh, we need to have we need to remove these, um, uh, these misaligned incentives that really, you know, uh, puts an overemphasis on profit making in healthcare and really put it into the in society's hands to create a system that, that I think is ultimately going to improve uh, quality and patient outcomes and lower costs. And, uh, you know, so just so just for me, I think the aha moment is just realizing that it is broken and we can fix it. And uh, now's the time to do it because we're on the clock. So that's what keeps me going every day for sure. Uh, it reminds me of when I did my, my MHA program, um, I did it at UNC and UNC turns out healthcare executives, um, you know, very well, very, you know, highly ranked program, at least at the time I took my, did my program. And I remember one, one of the days we were on campus and, you know, meeting with our program leads, they were, you know, the, the focus there very much, like you said, it was like, we're going to set you up to be healthcare executives, future CEOs or C-level executives. And we were having a group discussion. I was like, I don't want to be a C-level executive. And they were like, what? And I was like, nope, I, I really want to start my own business and lead the healthcare transformation. That was the only thing I wanted to do. Um, and I think I threw everybody off <laughs> almost you know, similar to your point, Eric, it's, you know, we need more change makers, uh, more fire starters, as Quint Studer would put it. And that was, that was the only reason I wanted to be a part of the program was to figure out, you know, how to, how to keep pushing forward. So um, I, I love your aha moment. It, it took me back to that same moment um, on my end. Yeah, it's, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I just hope that the, the conventional thinking ultimately can more, can move more into, uh, you know, thinking more about innovation and transformation in our system because perpetuating, you know, the status quo and everyone trying to be a, a hospital CEO and, and, you know, let's keep doing the way, doing things the way we've always done it. That's, that's not going to create the, the fire starter, you know, that, that we need to really, um, you know, make healthcare better for all in our country. Um, Eric, really, really interested to see where you're going to go with this, considering the work that you do. But I would love if you could share um, your thoughts on the current changes that are going on across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about. And what role do you see quality professionals um, and, and even healthcare leadership, you know, bigger picture, but what role do you see us all playing to promote or support longevity? Well, I think there's a, a just a, a tremendous opportunity for quality professionals really to be uh, in a in a leading role 
and you know driving industry transformation that could be far reaching. And I think, uh, as I said, ultimately uh, the success or failure you know of this movement towards quality improvement and in health value is really going to depend on uh, the competency of the workforce. I think there um, is a great opportunity um, for quality professionals really to think about how to be a force multiplier. Um, instead of, a, you know, you know, you're just focusing on, on things that aren't really going to make systemic changes. And, you know, and I think through, you know, and I think that's a, a something that's happening now. I, I think um, those that are quality focused, I think they're, they have a, a great opportunity to be recognized and to have a seat at the table. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, the industry will, will start thinking about, um, having quality professionals, uh, you know, represented on their boards uh, in in more prominent leadership roles. Um, I, I just believe that the organizational strategy to shift care uh, away from uh, you know kind of a transactional fee for service model to something that's more accountable uh, to patient outcomes and quality improvement. It's going to take um, a universal recognition that this has to take place. And I, you know, I, I just again, think back at that IOM report, you know, that happened, that report came out that, you know, called, you know, that report to Aris Human, if your listeners don't know that this was the report that said, you know, anywhere between, you know, 44,000 to 98,000 people a year die because of medical errors. And I think it took like, you know, that was 20 something years ago. And we're still now recognizing that, oh, wow, medical errors are, you know, a, a third, you know, uh, the, the, the third leading cause of death in our country, we need to fix something. And I just think it's going to take time, but I think there's a, a, a now uh, more than there has ever been, you know, this uh, flashpoint for change. And that's been accelerated by the pandemic. And I think, um, you know, through having a more uh, focused uh, effort and really thinking about quality as a movement, um, just, you know, that's not unlike the maybe the civil rights movement. I mean, this is something where human lives are are at stake and, you know, we need to make it better. So I, I believe uh, peer learning and education is going to really be the driving, you know, uh, change in the force multiplier to really improve outcomes. So ultimately, I think that's going to, you know, really create a new paradigm for healthcare. So um, I, I think your, your, your quality um, professionals out there listening um, should have hope and, and think about uh, ways that they can, you know, extend their influence and then ultimately, uh, you know, reach out into the, into the communities more. I think, you know, healthcare has been so, um, you know, focused, it's been so siloed and it's based on brick and mortar and like capital expansion and just massive, massive consolidation. And now I think there's a deconstruction of, of health systems and thinking about how can we have fewer beds and fewer hospitals and really have more of an asset light model where we're going into patients' homes and we're, we're meeting them at the, where they are and we're providing more patient-centered care, we're leveraging wearables, remote technology, the, the internet of things and really creating you know, a, a, a communication effort where we're, we have um, ways to, 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 to not think about the patient when they're in front of us and looking at the whites of their eyes but ultimately thinking about them when they're not in front of us, you know, what's going on with that patient when they're at home. And I think that's the movement that gets me really excited. And I think there's a great opportunity for those quality professionals out there to be thinking about, um, you know, ultimately where, you know, quality can, can reach the, the critical mass that it needs and through the, the, the kind of the deconstruction of the, of the kind of the legacy model and really thinking about 
ways to um, create something that I think can lead to improvement in the human condition. I, I'm really excited about it. And I think in our lifetime, we'll see it. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about everything you shared. I'm excited that you're excited as well. Um, and, and Eric, you know, I, I think you touched on so many absolutely key points, um, the call out for the, the potential movement of healthcare quality, almost being healthcare's version of the civil rights movement. Um, I'd say outside of health equity, you're absolutely spot on, but I am biased because I am a quality person, um, you know, to the opportunities specific for quality improvement, patient safety experts to, I mean, step up and own the moment. Um, this, if there was ever a, a time to say that this is our time, this, this will be a part of it. Um, your points about quality members being on boards and ultimately moving into those executive leadership roles. I'll, I'll kind of slip that one in, but um, those are all points that resonate with me. So I, I want to like totally throw out the next question I have for you, because I think you stated so many wonderful things um, and, and go off script again for you, Eric, and just throw this out to you. But what do you see? Uh, and I, I guess to, to frame this question up. So I've been building my business, Eric, for the last three years, but only just stepped out of my corporate role two months ago, not even a full three months now. And really to, you know, take my business to the next level. Again, my, my personal passion is I, I want to um, really make a mark with my skills, my talents, my competencies, everything you just kind of spoke towards. But I do feel that there's a role for entrepreneurs and innovation to really come through and help if nothing else changed the dialogue, you know, and ultimately have a true uh, tangible impact on the healthcare industry. So I, I guess my, my question and framing all that up for you, what, what is the role of entrepreneurship and innovation in value-based care in accountable care organizations as a whole? I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts um, because it'll probably give me more confidence and motivation as I continue to figure my business out and how to, to really make an impact. But if that encourages some of our listeners as well, because since I've made this move, I had so many people reaching out and saying, I want to do something, I'm thinking about it, but nobody's really sure or have that clarity. So just wanted to toss that question to you. If, uh, again, another big one, but man, you're knocking them out of the park. So I was kind of encouraged to throw it your way. Well, it's a great question, Jarvis. You know, I, I, you know, just in referring back to my comments about the, you know, start with why and, you know, how Steve Jobs at Apple communicated, you know, I think about, you know, just successful entrepreneurs and, you know, and what impact they're going to make in the future state of healthcare. And, you know, uh, I guess to use the Apple analogy, we're kind of in this iPhone moment where this, there's a new universe of possibilities that opens up. And when, when you first saw the iPhone, you know, like, you know, you, 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 you know, the people just, you know, it became like ubiquitous in our, in our culture and our society. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately it took something like COVID-19 to really catalyze uh, a movement towards quality improvement and, you know, digital mobile consumerism and bringing things into the healthcare mainstream like value-based care that maybe wasn't top of mind for uh, a lot of organizations. And I, I just think about this, this golden opportunity, that whole, you know, uh, you know the the quote from John F. Kennedy, where the the Chinese symbol um, for um, opportunity is 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 like two um, symbols. One is uh, uh, crisis, and one is danger. And that then that can, comes together in this current state that we're in. We're in a broken system. It's a 
insanely expensive it's unsustainable and now we've had this this kind of accelerant that's put on you know this forced imperative for change and it's not even an economic imperative now it's a moral imperative and i think entrepreneurs are coming into healthcare and in in a way that you know like i think it's a lot of times healthcare professionals if they're in the the the, the broken system too long they become conditioned to thinking a certain way. And I love how entrepreneurs can maybe be a little bit uh, more kind of uh, in, independent and saying, well, you know, this happened, you know, th this, this is happening in this industry. How can we apply it to healthcare? Knowing that, you know, healthcare is 20 to 30 years behind some industries and in creating, you know, open technology standards, you know, empathetic user design and applying AI and, and, you know, some of the innovations that are taking place. So I, I think it's a great moment to be a healthcare entrepreneur right now. I mean, I think there's going to be a, a birth of, you know, uh, companies that are going to um, be the, the unicorns out there that are going to help us recapture the $3 trillion that we spend on healthcare and apply it to um, a community benefit that ultimately is going to, to demonstrate um, the value of, of, of the spend that we have. I mean, we just can't keep spending uh, you know, in perpetuity what we're doing now and not having the, the quality and the outcomes uh, commensurate with that. And I think uh, that's where the role of the entrepreneur is really going to come in and you know, create some really you know, cool stuff for us to be, you know, applying for the future state. So, um, you know, I said earlier, it's going to take a village. I think uh, a big part of that village is going to be the, the, the revolution that takes place with entrepreneurs that are coming into the industry and looking to disrupt things. Perfect. Well, that, that definitely uh, makes me feel a little bit better about my recent decisions, but um, I, I mean, I, I personally believe it. it. It is a huge part of my why, um, you know, I, I've mentioned, I came from outside of healthcare in and, even in that transition over the past 14, 15 years, I've always held on to my, my outside of healthcare thinking. Um, and, and that's really just the way that I've approached it. So, um, so again, Eric, that, that vision of the future, I think is pretty cool. That's what I'm personally driven by, but I, I think there's a lot of folks that are, again, just going to value from everything you share there, because I've been really surprised at some of the contacts that I've had recently as I've stepped further into my business and the folks who are sharing, you know, their thoughts and their, their goals, their passions with me, um, you know, it's been really impressive. So I, I hope everything you shared also gives them that added vision, that added um, um, confidence to, to pursue it over time. So thank you for that. Um, Eric, I want to go ahead and move us into um, the halfway point of our show. So we're going to move into a part of the show called the two-minute drill, kind of my take on rapid-fire Q&A. But uh, before we jump into it, just want to see how you're feeling, if you're ready to rock and roll. Let's do it, Jarvis. I'm excited. Right. Wonderful. Well, Eric, the first question I have for you is something of a two-parter, where I would love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires everything that you're doing, but also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? Well, I think in my current role, what inspires me is just knowing that there's um, an unmet need, and that need is to 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 catalyze the movement towards value-based care, and having that be through competency-based education and workforce development. So, creating scalable solutions for that is exciting, and I think that's part of our why, and you know how I look to inspire others in the organization. And uh, what was the the second part of your question? I'm sorry. Yeah. How how do you inspire others within your organization? 
Oh, perfect. Yeah. And that, that, you know, so that would be it is just really having a strong sense of why and, you know, realizing that, you know, we could meet the, the, the needs and maybe the needs that aren't even recognized yet. Um, but I think that ultimately, you know, there's an opportunity to change lives by bridging the gap between talent and opportunity. And that's going to happen through workforce and, you know, and, and really thinking about the future state of healthcare. And I think quality prof professionals out there really have a, a great moment in time right now to do some great work. Wonderful. And uh, Eric, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Um, you know, one uh, mentor way back when told me, you know, it's important to be involved in the community, you know, uh, get involved in boards and nonprofit organizations. Uh, and, and really be connected to the the communities uh, of the patients to which you serve. And, you know, that's that was something that really stuck with me. You know, you can't just leave your 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 job at the end of the day, you know, at five o'clock and it's over. I mean, of course, you have to have time with family and that's the most important thing. But also you have to have something that you're you're doing beyond, you know, to to expand yourself and, and, and be better connected to the, the community. So that was something that really stuck with me. Awesome. And Eric, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be? And why? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, um, you know, I would probably trade jobs with the future state of me five years from now because we're, we're, we're doing some really fun entrepreneurial things. And I just want to be the guy, uh, which is me five years from now, you know, uh, looking back and saying, wow, I had a great time and, you know, made some exciting things happen. All right. Well, save, save that thought for the very last question because I am going to get you to time travel just a little bit. Um, Next, uh, next question I have for you, Eric, is I would love if you could share the personal habits that contribute to your success when leading any of the different projects that you're working on or collaborations. Well, I, I, I think uh, if I looked back at uh, just that Lou Holtz quote that I mentioned earlier, just having a, a great, you know, personal, you know, just a great attitude, I think that contributes so much to success. And, you know, one personal habit that I have that helps me with that is meditation. You know, I, I meditate every day. Um, you know, I use that, uh, the waking up uh, app that Sam Harris has and, and, you know, just really practice mindfulness and, you know, just, you know, if you could just spend 20 minutes out of a day, just really, um, you know, in a quiet place, just thinking and, and not even thinking, but just really being mindful of uh, the now and, and where you are and, you know, the best, your, your best person. I think that those, those lessons and that, and those little moments of time really help you um, handle stress, you know, uh, uh, more favorably and, and ultimately lead to better, more successful outcomes as a professional. Right, perfect. Well, Eric, you just shared with us one um, one mobile app, so the Waking Up app by Sam Harris. Uh, would love if you could share another go-to website or or mobile app that helps you execute on the work that you lead. Well, I'm, I'm a healthcare guy, so I, I read a lot of news. Um, you know, one thing that's really worked out for me, I subscribe to, you know, just tons of content, you know, from, you know, modern healthcare and the incidental economist, just healthcare, ACO exhibit hall, Rama on healthcare, you know, there's probably like 50 different things, but I use Google um, to, you know, uh, basically have an email account. I get, you know, 200 emails a day and I scan headlines uh, and, you know, that helps kind of keep me grounded in, you know, things that are happening in, in the industry and, and being, it's just, it's healthcare is so big and massive. It's hard to stay on top of everything, but I think having a, an approach to where you can just uh, do an environmental scan every day and, and have that be part of your, your habit, you know, spending 30 minutes, just scanning headlines and, you know, Google, you know, Gmail, you know, uh, helps me out a lot to do that and, and to manage, you know, the inflow of information and be able to process it, you know, uh, more effectively. All right. Perfect. I, I, I use a similar approach, but do Google alerts on some of your favorite sites like modern healthcare or Becker's 
um, those are those are some of my hacks and the same mindset. So awesome. That's great. Next question I have for you, Eric. Uh, would love if you could share with our audience a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add. Well, uh, you know, I, I mentioned my 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 uh, membership group, the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. I think that's certainly a great opportunity for um, organizations to get involved if they're, if they're interested in value-based care. And, you know, we have a trial membership, uh, you know, just to access our intelligence and our peer learning. So, I, you know, I have to be a little bit self-serving and just plug that just because it's such a, a good resource for those out there. I think a, a professional conference, there's so many great ones um, in the space that I'm in and value. Um, you know, I think the population health colloquium that Jefferson uh, College uh, puts on, I think is phenomenal. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, you can't go wrong with some of the other ones like, uh, you know, uh, NACOS, APG, um, ACLC, of course. And, you know, so I, I definitely think there's um, some great content out there. And, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm sorry, I just basically want, you know, the world to get back to normal so we could actually have conferences in person. You know, for me, that's, that's a big part of, uh, you know, getting the ultimate benefit of the, the, the networking. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that that'll happen at some point in the near future. Uh, that makes two of us, but uh, yeah, we're, we're holding on now uh, a group that I'm a board member on. We have our virtual conference next week and everybody's looking forward to it. And at the same time, we're like, uh, but it's not a person. So uh, right there with you. Eric, would love if you could share um, one book with our quality people. What would it be and why? Well, I really like, uh, there's so many great books in healthcare. And, you know, if, if your listeners had me on video, they'd see the bookshelf behind me. I've got just dozens of them. Uh, but one book that really stuck with me was uh, Mistreated by uh, Dr. Robert Pearl. You know, he's one of the brightest minds in healthcare, and he really, um, you know, just did a phenomenal job of, you know, dissecting, you know, all the different and analyzing all the different problems in healthcare and, and, and really approaching it, you know, uh, in, in, with a perspective that, you know, we have to really think about uh, the physicians and uh, the workforce and improve this moral injury that we have, you know, morale is low and costs are unmanageable and, uh, and, and we, we, we're not competitive in a global uh, marketplace. And, you know, I think across the, the, the healthcare ecosystem, he did a pretty good job of bringing some important things to light that I think would be, um, you know, for your listeners out there, it would be a, a pretty good read for them to check out. All right, perfect. And let me let me throw this extra question at you, Eric, just to make sure I do not forget or again give you the chance to to shamelessly plug. But um, could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast? And I have to let you know I, I am a fan, and I am totally like stealing your guest list for future invites to this podcast. But uh, we'd love if you take a, a few seconds and and share about your podcast and where folks can plug in and learn more. Sure. Uh, the podcast is called Race to Value, and uh, we are in a race to make value work. Uh, it needs to happen sooner than later. Uh, and, uh, you know, we started the podcast. It's a weekly podcast. We started it uh, earlier this summer, and it's just, you know, taken off beyond my wildest imagination. We have a great time. We interview uh, physicians, executives, entrepreneurs, and really focus on 
um, the every aspect of that value equation, you know, what it's going to take to improve quality, improve outcomes, uh, lower cost. And, you know, we have a wide ranging amount of topics from, uh, you know, looking at the, the future state of the industry and, and, you know, asset light, you know, hospital models and, you know, behavioral health integration, advanced primary care. We have an episode uh, about food as medicine. You know, we've, we're going into the kind of the FQHC environment and inter, uh, interviewing guests and talking about, you know, social determinants of health and artificial intelligence. I mean, just go, going on and on and on. So we're having a lot of fun just learning and engaging and, and really bringing those bright minds to, um, I, you know, a, a platform like podcasting where we could hopefully democratize that knowledge and, and create value. Um, yeah, again, um, you know, the podcast is called Race to Value. It's on all the platforms and definitely would encourage your users to check it out. Well, we'll absolutely, you know, include a link within the show when we get it posted for you. But um, I, have to, I have to let you know, again, even on top of being a solid podcast, very impressive um, host, you know, yourself and Daniel, but then, um, you know, the guests, man, I, I am so jealous of your logo. Your logo is just, it's the perfect logo for the perfect podcast. So I just wanted to, to give you a shout out there. Well, 99designs is a great crowdsourcing uh, website where you can just submit um, a request and you get a lot of graphic uh, designers that submit logo designs. And yeah, we um, really found one that we liked. So, you know, definitely would recommend that um, website if anyone's looking for a logo. Perfect. Um, well, Eric, man, we are right there at the very last question and going to set you up on this because it's a personal favorite. Um, I mentioned earlier, I was going to get you to time travel. So would love to try to get you to reflect on your past while also getting you to look forward to your future. So let's say that uh, we are able to send a text message to yourself 10 years in the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second to think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Wow, that's a great question. Oh, wow. You know, Jarvis, I, I think about, I guess if I was to send a text message to myself 10 years ago, you know, I would, I would uh, tell myself to love myself. And the reason for that is you can't really love others unless you have a, you know, a, a love for yourself and to be your best person. So to be comfortable in your own skin, to be confident, uh, you know, to be an innovator and just to really, uh, you know, just think about what you're passionate about and have an inherent love for who you are um, as, a, as a human being. And, 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 and through that love, you know, thinking about the future state, you know, once you're able to become that personification of love um, by treating yourself well, and because if, if you don't take care of yourself and, you know, you enter into a career and you get no grind, you get stressed out, then you're not going to be your best, you know, self. You're, you're not going to be the most productive executive, the, the best husband, the best father or whatever. So that would be the, the, you know, going back, I would say, you know, definitely that's, that's the most important message for me. And I think going forward, it's really to love your others. So by really becoming that personification of love, then as, as you become older, you know, as, as I looked at myself 10 years in the future, you know, what did I learn through that, those lessons of love and how did I make um, those loving connections to others to really create um, better lives, uh, you know, and, you know, with, 
mankind. And, you know, that's how I approach life. And, you know, I think, um, you know, it's important that, to be grounded in that. So for me, that's important, you know, something that I just would think that's an important concept, both in my, my past and my future that, that I would you know, hold on to tightly. Perfect. Well, Eric, I, I love both of those, um, pun intended, but um, on top of everything, Eric, I really, again, respect um, just you for the time and the insights shared on such um, a, a key topic and concept, value-based care and all of the work that we still have to put in, you know, give ourselves credit for the, the work we've put in, but, you know, still a path left to go and the call out that quality people can um, absolutely support this entire movement. So really appreciate you for that. Your insights, um, to, you know, your, your personal messages around leadership and ongoing development. Um, Eric, before I, I let you off the line tonight, I would love if you can give our quality people that parting piece of advice. Um, share with us any other plugs, any other uh, resources that would, again, add value to our knowledge around value-based care or you mentioned the podcast, um, anything else to share resources around, anything that I forgot to ask, if, if nothing else. Um, but then we'll officially sign off and um, thank you again for all of your time. Well, thank you, Jarvis. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to be with you today. I guess as a, a parting thought, you know, I would just uh, encourage uh, everyone to have hope. I, you know, I know we have uh, a world now that is uncertain and challenging and full of suffering, but it's also full of overcoming that suffering. And, and I think uh, the role of quality now is, uh, you know, in leading that movement is so important. So I, I, I just think everyone should, should really think about, about that and, you know, how to be their best self and to really create a future for our children and grandchildren grandchildren. And then I would just say, you know, I, you know, if anyone, you know, heard the episode today and wants to reach out, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn, um, you know, provide, you know, any advice or, or really help in any way. I'm, I'm all about networking and relationships. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, again, you know, just to repeat myself from earlier, it takes a village to make it work. So anything I can do to share insights and the, to help people in their time and place, be their best self, I'm, you know, what, but happy to, you know, happily, um, you know, take on that, um, that, that, that effort. And then, you know, just, uh, I would encourage, uh, uh, for those listeners out there that are in, you know, provider organizations uh, that are getting into value-based care models, you know, uh, feel free to join, uh, reach out and, you know, join the ACLC. You know, we have a free trial membership. If you want to access our intelligence and our peer learning and, and definitely check out the podcast, Race to Value. I mean, we have a lot of fun. And I think if you're wanting to know about value-based care and innovation, it's a good place to start. Perfect. Well, Eric, thank you so much again for the time, the knowledge, sharing um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Dr. Eric Weaver, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.